Hey everybody, it is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas here at Rogue Running with the Running Rogue podcast. Steve is with me. Hey Steve. Hello everyone out there. As we record today, it's officially our one year anniversary of recording this podcast and we've been having a blast since we started last December. So thank you as always for listening. Today we've got a topic that I think those that have been following along and sort of using some of our tips and tools for their own training regiment, I think you'll appreciate this topic, which is that we're going to talk about how you plan your micro macro cycles in 12 to 18 month chunks, how you, how you should think about your training in bigger blocks in terms of how peak performances fit in there, what races to do, how you might consider and think about choosing races. So we're going to help you lay out of planning blocks for your race and also as a part of that give you a case for why you should be looking at your training in perhaps longer term blocks than you are now we will get to that in a second of course we have some intro topics the first one which is a little bit dated now though i don't think many of you would have seen this came from late summer where we learned that we had a metal upgrade in track and field but not in the running events but this is a female athlete who's been competing at the highest level, and so I want to mention her because I'm a fan, and you should be a fan too. We've got to talk about Shantae Lowe. She is a U.S. high jumper, was just upgraded to her first Olympic medal from Beijing in 2008. She finished sixth there, but has, because of three DQs, now been upgraded to the bronze medal from 2008 it's her first olympic medal even though she's a four-time olympian and finished fourth in rio she actually found out this summer through a facebook message after somebody had seen an article and sent her a congratulatory message about her bronze medal she thought initially it was a joke until she went hunting herself and found the article so there's there's layers of issues with just that part of the story but before we talk about the whole concept of medal upgrades i wanted to give a little bit of a case for why Shantae Lowe is an absolute badass <laughs> and and it starts with as boring as they might be the the stats Steve as we look at this not only is she a four-time Olympian as as we mentioned but she's also a nine-time U.S. champion in the high jump including seven outdoor championships two indoor championships and she's finished another two times as the runner-up in outdoors Spanning a period from 2004 to 2016 before Rio. So you look at that and you're like, wow, that's 12, 13 years of competing at the, at the highest level in the U.S. And, and internationally. She has a world championship silver as well in addition to the bronze she now has from Beijing. And she's been doing it with pretty much zero fanfare if... if the distance runners in this world are sort of the poor, <laughs> the poor, sad folks that are kind of <laughs> subsisting on many of them, you know, what would be below poverty line level income. I know and can tell you that the field athletes are definitely even below that in terms of their, their sponsorship levels and their level of interest. Because really, primarily, nobody cares about the field events except in the Olympic cycles. And it's a damn shame because Shantae Lowe has been competing at crazy crazy level she is sponsored by nike so i'm sure she has some contract there that includes gear and probably bonuses associated with 
events, but I would bet it's a heavily bonus uh, laden contract. And so she's been doing it as well as raising three kids, having and raising three kids amidst all of that. And I just wanted to mention her because it's, it's high time she got her due with this Olympic medal. It's sad that it came this way and that she found out nearly 10 years after the competition that she's actually a bronze medalist. So she missed her podium moment. But I know for her, and she, there was an interview of her post finding out about the bronze medal, and she basically said, look, I didn't have an Olympic medal. I thought I was a failure as a result. Finished fourth in Beijing which was first loser, you know, in my mind. <laughs> and and so I thought I just wasn't good enough. And she'd been feeling, you know, like like her career was essentially wasted not getting that Olympic medal, but this was a bit of a redemption for her. So just wanted to give a shout-out to Shantae Lowe. My guess is she's probably not done competing knowing her. And so it'll be interesting to see if we see her at other U.S. outdoor championships. But hats off to Shantae Lowe. Happy you got your medal. Yeah, one thing that really sucks is just finding that out on Facebook. That's just, it's you know, it's exactly what happened to Kara and 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 then Shalane and how they let them know about. You know, we need, in my opinion, when we find dopers, if we want to really get rid of that in our society, they need to plaster their names and pictures in important places and give the medals immediately as soon as they can. And you know, I've been saying this for a long time. It's pretty hard to figure out what jurisdiction they would do it, but the IAAF should should file charges against those folks to get money back. And even if that money didn't go back to the athletes that did, you know, that got the opportunities taken away from them, at least the monies could go maybe towards funding doping protocols and some other things. But it's just, you know, it's so easy. And, and you know, we now know, exa- we now know exactly how we've known for a long time that the Russians have been doping for a while, but, to this level, to have three, basically three, two Russians, one Ukrainian. I mean, they're athlete. pretty much Ukrainians are as close to Russian as you can get without being Russian. So it's like I know it. It just is so disappointing, and and now the IAAF is suddenly getting big balls and saying, "Oh, we're not going to let Ameri- we're not going to let uh, the uh, the the Russians come to the Olympics." Well, they should have been doing this a long time ago. They failed. They failed athletes like Shantae Lowe and 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 Kara Goucher and. And Shalene Flanagan, it's just a shame. Well, and why why is it taking eight years is my question. Is this because, I mean, they're doing testing then. I know in some cases they're testing frozen samples that have been saved with new protocols that are allowing them to detect new things. So in some cases it's just simply the testing technology catching up to the, the dopers, essentially. But in other cases, I think it's just the IAAF not having a good system for catching these people in real time and that needs to be fixed as you said the the ability to award these medals in a proper platform is also needs to be fixed i think the iwaf did a good thing in the world championships by having kara and joe pavey actually get on a podium there to get their world championship medals and so i would like to see them do this for olympic olympics as well and have Folks like Shantae Lowe get their podium moment at the next Olympics at some point during those 10 days of track. So we will see, but at least they got it right at this point. And I'm happy for Shantae Lowe. And for those that don't know Shantae Lowe, if you see her competing, she's someone to cheer, cheer for. She's one that seems to be doing it the right way and has been competing at the highest level again. 
nine-time U.S. champ, 11 times in the top two at U.S. championships over the course of about a 12, 13-year period. That's unbelievable consistency, all while having three kids and raising three kids on probably a below-poverty-line-level income from her profession. So it's just unbelievable. So hats off to her and hats off to all those field athletes that are out there doing good work but maybe not getting the fair fanfare that they deserve. All right, Steve, our next topic has been a hot one for us this week. I know we've been talking about it. We've got uh, athletes emailing us about <laughs> it, people talking about it on Facebook. But the U- but the Boston Marathon announced their at least their U.S. elite field, and it has everything we wanted, especially from the women's side, where you have Shalane coming back from New York. She's not hanging it up yet. You've got Molly Huddle taking on Shalane for the first time. Jordan Hesse taking on Shalane for the first time. Desiree Linden taking on Shalane again and hopefully back at the top of her game after a little break this past summer and fall. And then, of course, on the men's side, you've got Galen Rupp, Dathan Ritzenhine. This will be his first marathon under the Hans Brooks Hansen's flag. You've got Ryan Vale, Abdi Abdurrahman, and a host of others that will make this perhaps the most exciting U.S. race in a long time. Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. I mean, it's this is this is exactly what Boston needs to do, and and the athletes now are finally stepping up to the challenges and saying, "Hey, I'm going to run. I w- I'd rather run my best." This makes a lot of sense. I would I want to run my best against the best, and it makes a lot of sense for you know Desi and for Molly and for Shalane because how many more opportunities they have. I'm sure Molly probably doesn't put herself in that category, but. I think you and I kind of are a little bit wondering how long she's going to be able to stretch this. But the others, you know, we know Shalane, she's, she did what she needed to get done in New York, and now she's, you know, focused on winning her hometown mar- marathon, which also happens to be one of the most important marathons in the world. But they makes total, it's a no-brainer for them to get after it. But it's super cool to see Sarah Hall jumping in there, seeing she, Jordan Jordan Hesse doing it. It's just, it's just going to be an exciting um, fun race to watch, and I go to Boston every year. It's gotten to the point now where I it's just almost virtually impossible for me to get out on the course and see various spots without renting a car and doing all this other stuff. So now I, the the play by play is so good. I basically sit at the finish line, go to a pub, watch the race race, and it's the it's almost the best day of the year for me. It's so awesome. <laughs> post up for beers post race. Yes, exactly. So. It's way too early to make predictions because we don't know how these athletes will be on form. And we'll get a lot of evidence, I'm sure, in the coming months on how these athletes are coming together. Molly Huddle is rumored to be racing in Houston to try to go after the half marathon American record. So her result there will be really telling. Shalane, it'll be interesting to see how she bounces back, having to deal with all the media and attention she's gotten over the last several weeks post-New York. So... Let's get to way too early predictions anyway, Steve, of <laughs> of the, uh, the the women's field. Who would you pick, you know, now, given the fact that you have no evidence and I will give you permission to change your pick later? I go with Hesse. I just think she's she's got now experience on that course. She'll know how to run it a little bit better. She's got the big, big race experience of two now world marathon majors. Um She's got the uh, 
the coach with the magic s- stuff in terms of getting ready for Boston. And uh, the real ones I think that could go blow for blow for her are, are I think Molly is real her mean competition. I think Shalane has a real good shot at it, and I, I can't believe I'm not going. I, I would love for Desi or Shalane to win, but if I pick with my heart, I pick Desi since Shalane already got hers. I just think Jordan's going to be savvy, and I don't think that I don't think that whatever Kenyans or Ethiopians are in this race, they're not going to let it sit around. They're not going to let the Americans play it that way. They're going to make it a real race, and I think Schlein's the one who's going to be our first American since in the in the and since uh, Dina Castor to be in that position of going under two twenty, and and I think that could happen. Probably won't happen at Boston, but I think that she's just going to be another level above. But we'll see. You know. Who knows? My early pick is Jordan as well. She also has youth on her side, which I think is important. And I think a really big confidence builder from Chicago where she ran 221. The only thing I worry about, though, with Jordan is that she hasn't won a lot of races, really, since her high school days. So is she going to have that edge when it comes down to the head-to-head battles at the end that Shalane, we know Shalane has, we know Molly has, because Molly is what a, like a 20 time US champion death taxes and Molly Huddle as we say <laughs> when it comes to her racing on on the tracker roads for 10k or less mm-hmm. so that's the only thing with her that kind of gives me pause is is she going to be ready especially with her idols next to her is she going to be ready to throw down at the end did you see her kick at Chicago I did but it wasn't necessarily for the win right? no but it's there, and I think she's got. I I'm not worried. That part doesn't concern me. I understand why it concerns you, but I think that there's because I I know she knows how to do it because she did it in high school for so long. She won every race she ran in high school. She got to college. She won huge numbers of races. She knows how to win, and I think the last person she she certainly already thinks she's equal to her idols. I I, I guarantee you when she goes to bed at night, she's not wondering. How will I feel if I'm sitting on the starting line next to Desi <laughs> Linden or Shalane Flanagan? I don't think that that's I don't think that's the way it's going to go. I just think she's just I I really think she knows how to do that. Um, but we'll see. I you know I don't know if you saw I know I was mentioned this offline, Chris, but I saw the quote quote of the day at Let's Run today, which will be a couple of days past we record this on Thursday. Um, but Desi Linden's had has a quote about concern talking about Shalane Flanagan and her win at New York City. Her quote is. She's talking about her mind, her mindset. She says, it changes everything. I run with her. I've beaten her. I can contend with her. So why can't, why can't that be me? And that's just really, really cool to hear. So while I'm picking Jordan, my heart wants Le- Desi to win. I think there's a chance. Desi's gotten second, and she's geared down. It's just is it a day late and a dollar short. We don't know yet. We'll see. Why not me? I love it. It seems to have also breathed new life in her. I know she was struggling with motivation over the summer. So good to see that that fire is coming back i think with desi though is that she's gonna have to change her race strategy absolutely typically she's been a runner who runs her own pace finds her own rhythm lets the lead pack go if they go but she's not gonna be able to do that she's gonna have to hang and then just see what happens i think it i don't and it's too late for the way the women run there's no way that desi's gonna pull off a meb you know because the ladies won't let him go the way they the men let Meb go right. many a couple years ago. So, yeah, I, I don't. I I I got to pick Jordan on my early, but I want to get more results. I want to see more results. I want to see where Molly is. I think Molly's result at the U.S. champs at the at the half marathon champs will be will be crucial. 
I'm also interested to see, they just announced the World Half Champs are going to be in Spain this year. And will any of these women choose a fast, competitive, really competitive half beforehand? Or will they do, you know, some of them do what they always do, which is find some little piddly one to time trial in. I don't know. I don't understand why they don't. The one thing I do think that's interesting about these marathoners is they don't really go head-to-head. The women on the women's side, they're not necessarily going head-to-head in the shorter distance. You know, Dababa definitely did, but the rest of them don't. And Shalane does some. And Molly does. So I guess I just need to, <laughs> I need to slow down, slow my roll there. <laughs> so it'll be interesting. I, I do think, though, that any of these women would be happy with the U.S. winner. We already know Edna Kiplagat will be back. And she will be stiff competition for these athletes, but I think any of them can compete with her. Absolutely, over the last ten k, especially if everybody's together until then. Boston, I I like the way Boston does their announcements. They start with sort of the past year's winners, are they coming back or not? Then they space it, and then they talk U.S. field. Then they add in the other elites later. So we'll see who else is battling these Americans in a bit from Boston. But I like the way it kind of spreads out the the press and the speculation and allow Are we going to pick the men or do we already have a foregone well, we're gonna, conclusion? We're going to talk about that <laughs> too. But before we go there, just quickly noting that if a US woman women woman wins, that'll be the first time since the mid 80s. So, there's a lot at stake for these ladies and we know that all of them understand that, which is cool. And it's cool to see that they've chosen not to duck each other, but to just go for it. Good to see Shalane back in it, too. So we will see. Steve I have I. one question, though. Okay. Where's Amy Hastings? You know, where's Amy I Craig? was asking the where's, same thing. Where is she? I don't, I was I don't see her the here. same thing. Did she get beat? Did she get banged up again? Did she get hurt? Because it just doesn't make sense to me why we're not seeing her in an opportunity. This is a race for her. It'll be, it's one that usually is not super fast. She's always very, very competitive. She knows how to measure her efforts. And the way that course comes down, she has a chance to be really, really right there. So I'm surprised she's not there unless Jerry's just decided to spread the wealth and figure out ways to get their pension funds a little higher or something. (laughs) It makes me wonder if we're going to see her in the London field because I do think that the one thing she's missing from her resume coming into 2020 is a really fast race. So maybe that's what she wants to go run with Pacers in London and see if she can drop a 223 or 224, which would bump her PR down so that when it comes to competing for 2020, she's ready to roll with Jordan and Molly. That makes sense. Shalane. So we'll see. But it, it was a question of mine as well, especially since it's been a while since she's had a payday from a major marathon. I mean, she raced world champs last year, but that was it. Right. Or this year. Mm-hmm. So... Good question. We'll see what comes with Amy Hastings, but I would imagine we're going to see something from her soon. Hopefully it's London. That would also mean that she and Shalane get to train together, essentially, leading up to it. On the men's side, Galen Rupp obviously had the big win in Chicago. Comes back from second in Boston as well to try to get the victory this time. His coach obviously wants him to win Boston maybe more than (laughs) Galen himself. (laughs) And but, you know, but Ritz, frankly, has a faster PR. It's been a little while. But the question is, can Ritz give him a run for his money? Can Ryan Vale perhaps give him a run for his money? What do you think? I don't think any of them can run with Galen Rupp when he's firing on all cylinders. He's got gears. He's got shift ability. But it doesn't really matter because there's no American that's going to win 
the Boston Marathon because I will never again vote Joffrey against Curry. Karui. <laughs> I Joffrey Karui any time, any race he's in, I'm picking him because so far I've been so badly wrong with him, and he has shown not even a chink in his armor. Um, I think that Karui will win going away. I'm interested to see how the rest of the elite field plays out once Boston decides they get their one big and they get their Americans. They do chase other athletes, but they're not. They're always looking for. It seems a little bit more the hungry ones. And they're the ones on the up and coming, whereas London sort of gets the big star power people. But um, I don't think that I don't think that I don't think Ritz is done. But I think Ritz might still be a training cycle away. I think maybe fall, winter is where we'll see a, a, a better Ritz, given the changes in his system and the and the sort of ups and downs he's had to deal with. Um, but you know he's. Uh, He's a Wiley competitor, and, and, you know, there's another name in that list who's somebody I've kind of been bullish on. We don't, I don't know that we'll actually, he'll actually take to the marathon distance. But uh, Andrew Bumbleo in a race like this is a little scary because he's got wheels, he's fast. If he's done the real work, he just really let us down at that, at the, uh, what race? Oh, Chicago, where those Chicago. guys just shot yep. the bed. And <laughs> maybe maybe they've got that cycle better a little bit, dialed, a little more dialed in. Maybe they take some tips from the ladies on their own team who seem to be <laughs> tougher than they are. I bet Mario Hall is probably doing as hard and fast a workouts as Andy Bumbleo is doing right now. <laughs> I know that that woman knows how to train and work. So I don't know. We'll see. But I, I, I am bull- I'm really excited the depth and the breadth of what this American field is. And it makes it exciting to think about watching it both the men and the women. But on the women's side, yes, I think we've got a significant chance at a, at, at a winner. But I just think the men are maybe a year or two years behind where the women are. We will see. Very exciting. I'm registered for Boston, but looking at this field, it almost makes me want to not race just so I can watch it myself live. Yeah, you can come sit in the we pub could, with me. We could do the play-by-play. <laughs> yeah, we could do the pub. Exactly. The pub play-by-play. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. All right, so that's our intro Definitely looking forward to watching Boston this year. Now, let's talk about our topic for today, which is, as we mentioned at the top, we're going to kind of go through a little bit of training cycle planning. And we've had several people email us and say that we're kind of their de facto coaches, so to speak. They're coaching themselves, but listening to us. And so one of the things we wanted to talk about, especially as we also now have a podcast training group, that might may, may find, find some of this interesting as well. And sweet Jesus, the questions, man. We get a lot <laughs> of questions. Good question. no, they get good. a lot of questions. So <laughs> anyway, we wanted to help you guys think about how you plan your training for long-term development. As we've mentioned many times before, distance running is a game of development in years, not months or weeks. And so if you're really truly committed to this and wanting to get faster over the long term, then you need to be thinking about a multi-year process to whatever your goals might be. And so we wanted to talk about how we do planning as it relates to macro cycles for athletes. And typically we like to look at 12 to 18 month cycles and have our athletes kind of plan in those chunks so that they can hit all the right elements they need to hit for long-term development as well as for getting to those big goals that they've set for themselves. So before we get too far down the line of what that means, Steve, I want to start with simply with the question, you know, why, why 12 to 18 month blocks? Um, well, first of all, 
I think the prin- principal reason is that in almost every case, is the first reason I'll go to is physiological. So I, in my experience of coaching all these years, I've noticed that any bumps in mileage or any bumps in volume that people have done, it takes almost nine months to get the full benefit of that volume increase. You get some residual benefits early on, but to get the full on cascading effect of that extra mileage, let's say in a year, that gives you, if you if you bumped your mileage up 10 miles a week, that'll give you somewhere between 400 and 500 miles in a month, in a, in a year difference. That's a huge chunk of change when you're talking about it being nearly a quarter of the mileage that people might run in a year. So the first reason that we want you to think that long is that you need to have a vision further out for where you're going to put your volume. And Chris and I's first foundational training principle is miles matter, trying to find your sweet spot and get to the right place. By If you put a race that's three months from now, you're going to be spending all your time getting ready for that race and not doing the long-term preparation that's crucial and important. So the first is physiological, and the second is a psychological component that goes with that, which is recognizing that these physiological benefits take a long time to accumulate and to get get ready for. You also need to allow your mind to begin to stretch into the realm of big dreams and big goals. Anybody that comes to me and says they've got a big giant goal that's in three months away, I, I and if they haven't done planning for 12 months before that, I want to laugh at them and just say there's not it's not possible. You you might beginners luck your way into it, but you're not going to have either the physiological or the psychological resilience and strength and and background to get the work done at the level that you want. And so the the main the first reason is physiological, the second reason is psychological to get yourself in that place where you see it that far out. And finally, Chris, there's just there's just a lot of planning that actually has to take place and a lot of work that has to get done that if you're doing things short term, you're just picking um, you're picking the fruit off your tree before it gets ripe. And that's that's really what I think happens for most people. I like that. I like that analogy. <laughs> the other thing, just from a physiological standpoint, a practical training standpoint, is that in order to train for distance, and a lot of people I know that listen to us are training for half marathons and marathons. And let's just pick the marathon as an example. You don't get better in the long term at the marathon by only racing the marathon. Mm-mm. So there are a lot of folks that kind of get stuck in a rut of doing five-month, four-month marathon cycles. And they kind of go from one to the next. So they're thinking about their planning and sort of four to five month chunks after each big marathon. And maybe they're doing two a year. Maybe they're doing three a year thinking that if I just keep running more marathons, then I'm going to get faster at the marathon. And you might for a period of time. But what will happen is you'll hit a plateau because you're not working all systems. And so as you're building a plan to get to a peak goal in the marathon, you have to think about what systems do I need to work at the lower distance levels in order to fit all the pieces together for a fast race. I like to say, you know, the faster you can run a 10K, the faster you can run a marathon. The faster you can run a half marathon, the faster you can run a marathon. So if you're focused on the marathon, you can train for that marathon without doing a marathon by having cycles within a 12 to 18 month period that are focused on other things. Typically, just as a template for my athletes, I like to see them do one half marathon cycle, one marathon cycle, one speed cycle, 
focused on 5K, 10K distances, and then one period of break, kind of two to four weeks where they're resetting, in every 12 to 18 month period. So you're getting a little bit of everything, all building you to be better at all of those distances over the course of that 12 to 18 month period, but not getting you so specialized that you get stuck or plateau in one given area. Now, that might be different for some people. Sometimes we choose to maybe build in, well, we'll talk about this in a second, but build in a base period or build in a period where you might be working strength into your routine in a way that's sustainable. So there's other things you might build in besides those things, depending on your strengths and weaknesses. But but as a practical matter, unless you're doing that, unless you're doing cycles at various distances over the long, di- over long term, you're not going to reach your ch- peak potential at the marathon, as an example. Yes. So I don't know what else preach. to say about that. You <laughs> yeah, pretty much preach. got it. You got preach, it. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a little bit of the why. And as I mentioned, that means that if you're thinking about things in, in shorter chunks, then you're probably getting too specialized and not thinking about working all of your weaknesses. So with that established, Steve, as someone begins to chunk up their kind of 12 to 18 month period, before we get to what that could look like or how you might plan that, what are the things they should be thinking about? <clears throat> the first thing they should think about is really what they really, really want. Um, and I think that this is a question I ask my athletes sometimes in the in the week prior to their race. You know, it's not it's something I'm I feel is a subtext of everything I do all the time with all of my athletes, but I don't usually spend at the beginning of the cycles training cycles or even in long-term planning cycles asking what they really, really want because I think it's sort of a note for it's already known. But I also think it's because I tell them I want to know what they really, really want in the week before the race because that tells me what I should be planning for them for the next 12 months or 18 months because they probably aren't quite ready for that given how athletes like to dream beyond their current means. Um, but the first thing is they need to dream and they need to dream it big and they need to decide what they want. They Number two, they need, they really need to think about what distance they want to focus on because while we'll try to and put in, as you stated, Chris, a lot of workouts that are wide ranging and different races and maybe even little phases within that 18 month window to focus on different things. We still want to know what their main objective is and what their main race distance is, because then everything can target that direction. If someone told me that their goal for the next eight, they wanted to run the fastest 5k they could possibly run, then I would design a different 18 month structure for them a very different 18 month structure. It would probably look very similar at the beginning and then it would look similar at the end to any 5k training program I wrote. But for those 18 months, they might be working on half marathon pace work. I might even put somebody who had never done anything, um, faster to maybe even try to spend a summer going to local in a, in a, in a community where someone might have local pickup races or local track meets, all comers track meets, and get them to try to run an 800 and 1500 meter and do a little training phase to get them ready for that. You know, I would change things a lot based on what their goal was 12 months or 18 months away. So that's really, I think, the absolute critical, most crucial thing is know what race you really want to get ready for. Put your eyes on that prize, pick it out and call it out from advance, and then you can start working things around that. Pick your primary goal. That's... (laughs) Seems simple, 
But it's funny how, or it's funny, maybe not funny, but it's often the case that athletes will say, if you ask them that, what's what's the big thing you want? And they'll say, oh, I want to run X. And then usually in the next or third sentence, they'll say, but I also want. But, <laughs> exactly. But I also yeah. want. <laughs> and so I think that's so critical. It's like really it, and it, it might start by saying, look, there are three, four goals I'm interested in. But I think it's really important as you're planning these chunks to pick a primary. Yeah. Yeah, Chris. I think also another major problem that we have, this seems to be going away. I haven't noticed. I certainly haven't noticed. Maybe it's just the coach group of people that I've coached. I'm finally getting the culture I want. But before, it seemed like there was so much FOMO going on. And FOMO is an acronym of fear of missing out. People wanted to run every race that they could run, and they wanted to be ready to go for every one of those races. And I would just look at them and say, I'm not a fucking miracle worker. I can't just make it happen. Now, generally, what happens is crazy is that as people get more and more physically fit for the marathon, most of these folks are were starting with us as aerobic babies. They weren't fit enough to be able to do some of the work they wanted. And then they find out in marathon training, they run PRs at the 5K, 10K. I had a guy at CIM run a t- PR for the 10K in his final 10K. And this guy ran 242. So it's like, it's not like he was like low, like run. I mean, it, you, that aerobic development makes a big difference. But he didn't, we didn't go through that phase saying, oh, I want to try to get my th- my half marathon PR or my 10K PR. How, off, how far out from it should I do it? And as we're coaching our new podcast group, it's very interesting how many people have fallen into that, that structure of looking at races as it fits their, as it fits their, current personal schedule or what they've been looking at and we're we're working hard to try to get folks to look at it a little bit differently and say hey not saying that you can't run all those races but you certainly aren't going to be able to run all those races with that kind of singular focus towards one thing and then the argument then the secondary argument to that chris is if you're not going to put that kind of focus on it then why the hell are you pinning a number to your chest because there's another bit of danger there as well where the lack of value of racing can come into play but maybe i've digressed into another area at this point (laughs) but well, I think what you're saying is there's nothing wrong with racing, but you have to know which race really matters and make sure that if you're doing other races that they're contributing towards that primary Absolutely. goal. Absolutely. Yes. So, what do you want? That's your first question. Mm-hmm. Pick a pick a primary goal. And that's not to say you can't have a secondary goal, but or a tertiary goal, especially in 18 month or 12 month cycles. You know, well, in a 9 month to 8 6 month cycle, I'm not going to give that option to people because But it should fit together. Yes. If there's a second or third level goal, it should all build or help contribute to the primary goal or be something you could achieve on the back end of that, but maybe something you're less worried about or you know, not putting as much emphasis on. So there's different ways you could do it, but you have to know what you want. And in order to know what you want, then that helps you build a cycle that will actually get you to that primary goal because all the things matter and fit together. Now, I think the other thing you have to look at once you know that, once you know what you really want, is what are your strengths and weaknesses? What do you need to do in order to accomplish that primary goal? For some people, it might be that they need more aerobic development, need to put in a long base period. For some people, it might be they need to stay healthy, so they need to work on bringing supplemental training into their, into their, into their macro cycles, so that it's sustainable and it fits. Which, by the way, always takes longer to incorporate that stuff into your routine than you think it might. 
So if it's going to be sustainable. So true. Like I've had various periods in my training where I thought, I want to start doing more strength work. But then you get into the middle of a really tough training block or it comes on really quickly and you're like, well, now I can't do that work because I'm too sore <laughs> for the workouts I need to do. So you have to give yourself time to incorporate that stuff in. So maybe that's a weakness. But you got to look at what are you good at? What are you not so good at? And as a result, what are the training elements you need to work on those weaknesses or to build the strengths so that it fits with your primary target? Absolutely. You know, and Chris, some of that, that piece there um, sort of lends to the idea that um, well, I, one of the experiences I've had now coming back to Team Rogue after coaching at the collegiate level and the post-collegiate level was there was just a lot of frustration about my inability there wasn't enough time. The cycles were so short. It was six-month cycle every single time. And while I tried to do long-term development, my athletes were either 5K, 10K athletes or 15-5 athletes or steeplechasers. Or, and I didn't have the chance, or many of them weren't willing to go, hey, I'm a 1,500-meter runner. Let's do a real true 10K cycle. Or I'm a 5K runner. Well, let's, let's go after the 800. You know, Brenda Martinez has always been one of my heroes because she is always willing to throw it way up and way down. She has a great coach, honestly, in Joe Vigil, who knows the value of targeting these energy systems for extended periods of time to try to get stronger and stronger at them. And I, with my team row group, I'm, I've got so much more flexibility to work on these other areas and shore up these weaknesses that... It's it's liberating, and the athletes get a lot of return for their their investment there. One thing I'll suggest when it comes to this stuff is, especially how you're layering in these other things for your weaknesses, is let's just pick one per three-month to six-month cycle. Um, right now, I have some really excited athletes who just slayed some dragons at, at CIM and ran really well. And they just want to add three or four more things. And it's like <laughs> we can't – we really need to take a little bit of time, enjoy this moment, and also know that we can't just suddenly get all those things done. At some point in time, a law of under, a law, the law of diminishing returns is going to come into play and the ability to focus on it. So, Well, we talked about that on our Dealing with Failure episode. It's like we, when you make training tweaks, they have to be subtle and small. You Absolutely. can't make big tweaks. And if you have a big result, chances are – you don't need to change a lot. <laughs> so true. You just need to. Because you're still getting keep, the residual keep benefits. doing what you're doing. Yep. So look at those weaknesses and and then see what you need to do to fit towards the primary goal. Let's, and now let's talk. I've given some examples, but let's talk about, let's talk about some other examples of what that could be. You know, one of the things that I see with some of my runners, especially those that are super half marathon and marathon focused, is that. They need the speed. They need the 5K work. And oftentimes they're hesitant to do it because they're afraid of the fear or the pain of a 5K, as we've talked about. It's very like, very much like a marathon, but maybe I'm <laughs> more unfamiliar Just to Just take a marathon <laughs> and <then> squinch <laughs> it into a 20-minute yeah. of time. <laughs> so working speed, working strength, working in a base period are some examples. Building in some strength or supplemental training. You know, there could also be a scenario where you know, I think a lot of my marathoners also get into the rut of building every 12 to 18 month cycle off of a marathon primary mm -hmm. goal versus saying, you know what, I want to get the fastest half marathon I can get in a given cycle, which might mean you do some marathon level training during that cycle to get really good volume in. But it might mean you put the marathon aside for a little bit, knowing that if I can run a really fast half, that's only going to translate up. 
that that law that rule is about to get played out at some point in time here with my team road group because we've been really we did it we've done a few cycles and they've been really compliant with doing that 5k 10k work with with real focus and real intent but without the idea that there was going to be you know they they were going to have that that goal time result on the end with success or fail at that which i think is what you're saying there is that cycle means that you need to set that goal and you have to do a 10k or a 5k or a 3k or whatever distance that you want to choose and you're going to go to the biggest, baddest, most toughest race you possibly can and get the best competition you possibly can for that so that you can try to have the best result you can and then you're going to take your break after that. There's the key, right, Chris? Mm -hmm. Is the taking of the break after that means that you've built up, whether that's a three-month window of time or a six-month window of time of going towards that or a nine-month, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that there's a lift, a, a build, at a peak, and then a drop in performance so you get recuperated and recovered so you can come back at it again and, and build back up. Exactly. So the other thing we should mention before we kind of go into how you might structure some of these chunks is that as you're planning these 12 to 18-month blocks, it's a good time to go back to purpose. <laughs> we, we've talked about it probably ad nauseum to the group. At episode 11, we talk about why do you run? This is a good time as you're planning these chunks, as you're doing your goal planning for these big macro cycle blocks to revisit your purpose, hone in on, on that, refine it, maybe remind yourself of what's important to you because that'll set you up for success as you get into the block. One of the thing, other things that's kind of related to that that we didn't mention about why you do it in these longer chunks is for me, and just as an example, having these bigger goals out there and so let's let's just say you know in, in this chunk we had kind of a goal at at uh, run for the water for me we know that then after that Houston or Austin or Boston will also be at a race depending on how things play out but one thing that this does for me when I'm like in the summer building base is it allows me to remember that it's not about what's immediately in front of me. It's about putting the pieces together for something that's down the road. And so it takes away some of my impatience, perhaps, when I'm base building, when I'm building miles, when I'm doing 80-mile weeks, but maybe slower than some of my teammates because I haven't been focused on speed in a while. It allows me to sort of say, look, it doesn't matter because I've got something bigger in six months or nine months or 12 months that is the most important thing and all i need to do is worry about what's important today to build to that without this sort of pressure to always get this extra bit every day there's another yes you take the pressure off that way but you could also use that as a wonderful time to start dreaming the big dreams and and starting to visualize them playing out in fun ways it's like when I was a kid, I would I would visualize myself in scenarios that were unrealistic, right? So I used to think about myself racing um, Lasse-Viren. <laughs> there was no way in my life I was ever going to race Lasse-Viren. But I had seen enough video footage and seen enough that I could visualize that happening. That it's a time frame also during those windows to sort of dream these dreams and visualize non 
you know, and, and race with your great race with the greats. Visualize yourself going stride for stride and dealing with the same things that Joan Benoit was dealing with in the nineteen eighty three Boston Marathon where she decided to get away from the crowd. Or or what kind of feeling did it did um does does somebody make when they get fourth at the Olympic trials? You, I mean I don't know. Each of you have your running heroes. I know, Chris, you have your running heroes. I have my running heroes. It's a great time to run with your heroes because when you get later in your cycle and you get more specific, you're going to be running and visualizing and thinking about real specific things, mostly with the people you train with and the people you think you might be racing. But you aren't going to have these windows and opportunities to dream big. And so that's another thing I suggest in those windows is race your train with your heroes. Train as if you were doing work with your heroes and those little times that you do have pickups so that you do have workouts or you do have things that are in there, visualize unusual and un- unexpected kinds of, of race scenarios that will allow you to visualize that time, as, that downtime as being fun. Because when we get into the nut cutting time, Chris, when we get down to those last six to eight weeks prior to race, there's not a lot of time for that quote unquote silliness, right? It's just real Boots on the ground, time to do work. And if you've already let your flights of fantasy fantasy and fancy fly out there, you're you're much more likely to have um, the ability to really double that, you know, buckle down and get the work done in the last few months of training. Exactly. The, o- the other thing, too, it kind of gives me my barometer for when to press and when not to press. If I'm early in the kind of 12 to 18 month window building to a big peak down the road that I'm generally erring on the conservative side every single time I have that decision. If I feel a little bit crappy, back off. If I'm not sure about the extra set, don't do it. But when you're close, when it's four to six weeks out. And you got three times 5K and your entire team decides <laughs> to go off on running a 5K easy pace <laughs> and you're stuck doing real work, what do you do? You do You it do the work. When you're right there. This is so. what Chris did this morning, by the way, <laughs> yeah. listeners. If, if you want to know if he's really, really serious about the stuff he does, he is. And he had to do a 5K rep, ran his fastest rep at the fi- end of the 5Ks, at the three 5Ks, and did it completely solo. So... So yeah, my hat to so you that's, there. that's when you know it's like okay when you're close it's time as we go into how you might build these 12 to 18 month chunks i did want to remind people about episode 15 we talked about the importance of peaking and this might be a counterintuitive principle for some but basically just to summarize what we talked about in that episode your development in distance running is not a linear process you can't just draw a straight line from X to Y and expect that you're always going to get faster. It kind of ebbs and flows. You have peaks and valleys. Generally, you might find that your peaks get a little higher each time, but you're going to drop back. You're going to have valleys as your body needs to recover from a big result. But we generally believe that you can only have two to three peak performances within a year time frame because if you believe in proper periodization, you have to build to each one of those peaks in order to get the most out of it putting a lot of eggs in one basket but if you want to get the most eggs in the basket that's the way to do it versus racing kind of and expecting peak results all the time so that's something else that's important as you begin to plan these cycles is you have to choose in an 18 month cycle you might be able to fit in four peaks but probably not more than than that and in a 12 month period you're going to have not more than two or three peaks so the first thing to do in building that 12 to 18 month cycle is 
as we just talked about, identify that primary goal, pick a race for it, and put that on the calendar. Where does that fit and fall? That's number one. Then you want to layer in some other peaks that support that. But let's assume for a second, Steve, as just for the purposes of example, that we're trying to get a big marathon result as a, as a part of this discussion in a 12 to 15 month period away. Mm-hmm. So 12 to 15 months from now, you've got a big race. You want to get a command performance, whether it's a big goal, whether it's qualifying for Boston, whether it's running a personal best, whatever it may be. That's 12 to 15 months out for the purpose of this discussion. So you're going to then slot in some other command performances, peaks building up to that. But how might you think about where those fit and what might be some examples of how you could build to a big marathon result over that kind of time frame? So that's a really huge question. So, we'll t- but we'll, <laughs> we'll what we'll try to do is break it up into a little bit. The first thing I would do is decide. The first thing is like choose your own adventure games, right? You know, if you if you choose A, then move to page thirty-five. But <laughs> the K, the K, the first thing I would ask is: Is the person currently at a marathon fitness that indicates that that goal that they're trying to reach is attainable? Because in some cases it's not. Let's say that somebody wants to get a Boston qualifier, they need to run three oh five, which is really three oh two. But their last marathon that they ran was 322. Then I'm probably going to stay in a marathon mode for a little longer to get a PR, to try to chase a time and try to find the best weather time I can in six months to nine months to try to get them a little closer to that goal. So I might say, let's shoot for 315. Um, probably if they ran 322, they probably fell apart at the end of that race. They lost two minutes. They were probably really at a 319, so running a 315 would probably be okay. We would shoot to try to run a 315. So that way I could get that distance between that 315 and the 302 much closer to realistic for that athlete. While I do know that physiologically they might be capable of going from the 322 to the 302, the first thing I want to do is to get a real base fitness and know where they're at for a marathon. Then the next thing I would do is look at what their economy is. And Chris, when we talk about economy, we're not talking about running biomechanics. We're talking about that athlete's ability to run with relative ease at the long, slow, the longer-ish, slower-ish distances. Some athletes come to us. You have an athlete that you're working with right now who's going to end up being in a fantastic marathoner, probably the best, one of the best marathoners Austin's ever seen in Kate Barrett. But she's just not a marathoner yet. And you've got a lot of work to do with her on the economy zone. So you might choose to take that athlete and work a little bit of a different angle for her for the next little while because you know you can just tap at that for a little bit. But most of my athletes that I work with, they're coming at it from a more volume-based approach. They didn't do 5K, 10K work or 1,500-meter work as a young person. So now I've got a question. Do I go? Where, do I, where is their biggest weakness? Because that's the crucial thing. We work your weaknesses as early on in these cycles as you can, and we can come back to your strengths a little bit later. So I would say for an athlete that said to me that I want to run 302 and I am currently in 322 shape, I'd say, well, we're going to run the next best marathon week, next best race we can run, and we're going to do these foundational principles. We're going to keep our mileage where it currently is, and we're going to hammer our Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday workouts and knock those and make sure that we're dialed in. So what am I doing there, Chris, is making sure that I can now assess this athlete's work as being strengths, as true strengths. And they're going to go out and hopefully they run that 315. Maybe they run 312, maybe they run 317, but at least I've now got a foundational place that I can go. So then I would take that athlete and say, let's do a 5K, 10K cycle. 
important caveat here is we live in what I would consider the marathon, psycho-marathon-focused capital of the United States, if not the world. <laughs> this town does not want to see a value. Not many runners in this town see the value of a, of a well-run 5K or 10K. They see the value of a mar- half marathon, but only as it can extrapolate to their marathon time. So I try to beat that out of athletes all the time, as anybody that listens to the podcast knows that Chris and I are super fans of the 5K, the 15, the 8. We'd love to see facility. I wish there were more all-comers meets or we would run more of those races, but they're not really available here, so we focus on other things. But I would then take that athlete into a 5K, 10K zone where I try to get a command performance from them and then take that. Let's say they did that. They succeeded. They stayed healthy. Plug that number into a calculator. See how much closer that gets us to 302. Now, it might be... A lot further, it might not be, that number might indicate that they're actually a 330 marathoner. Well, that wouldn't surprise me very much because they're probably no, not very good at the 5K, 10K mm-hmm. stuff. So then I would be, all right, that's okay. We got a lot of benefit out of that. Now let's pick another marathon. So in that 15-month in that window, I'm looking at one marathon, which is three to six months away, probably six months away, a three-month to, to six-month 5K phase, depending on where, it's, where races sit, and then probably going after our next marathon, which hopefully, hopefully gets us under 310, and then everything's, and then I might do another three, another short three-month 5K to 10K cycle, to try to really get that 302. And that's a, and that folks, that though to our listeners that are still paying any attention to me, <laughs> that's the short plan, right, Chris? <laughs> like that's the I want my goal in 15 months plan to get somebody, and it's not my favorite way to do it. But luckily, our runners that come to us are frequently aerobic babies and. We get a lot of bang for our buck in that first 12 months to 15 months, and we can pull off some quote-unquote miracles that aren't really miracles. Basically, though, what you're saying is you take that 12 to 15-month period with your big primary goal at the end, and you say, okay, how do I need to chunk that up in three to five or six-month windows to start working on the things I need to work on to build that, knowing that you've got one at least one marathon cycle at the end, which is going to be about five months in length. And by the way, just as an aside, some people might say, well, I'm used to more like a 16-week marathon cycle. <laughs> and, you know, here at Rogue, we, we kind of do more 20 weeks to 25 weeks, depending. And so that's probably something to address. But the idea there is that in order to prepare for a big marathon, you need a big base. You know, Chris, that's not entirely true. Because we do do 16. We did this, this last CIM cycle was 16 weeks. But it just had a three-month 5K, 10K pace at the <laughs> at beginning the of it, yeah. right? So in Fair a enough. sense, it's like— All building to one thing. Correct. Yes, correct. Um, but it is true that we are much longer approach to marathoning than a lot of other people are, which limits the number of races that come in that cycle. But again, this is an interesting question, one we could maybe— addressed in its own podcast is how many great marathon marathons does one marathoner have in them which is a really interesting question from a long-term perspective because and it would be great to get 10 different coaches on a panel and ask them all they probably would be as divergent in their answers as we would be the two of us but um you do need to think about the fact as you line this up that you probably have a limited number of absolute epic great race performances some of that's going to be limited by weather and cycling and everything else but a lot of that is this your, your people are going to have a hard time running 25 great marathons right well Matt ran 26 not all great but 
he showed his limit <laughs> there. Right. <laughs> Finishing at 42. But you're breaking this 15-month, 18-month period into chunks. Three to six months max chunks. Probably more in the three to five-month range. And trying to fit the pieces together. And some of it may also mix and vary with the weather in your area, the race cycles in your area, in terms of what you can really target. But you're mixing in different things. Each of those cycles should ideally help either work on a weakness or build a strength, all building to that big primary goal. And so you should choose in that build to the primary goal two to three other mini peaks. It might be a peak for a 5K, 10K PR. It might be a peak for a half marathon PR. It might be a phase where you're just trying to get to a peak mileage where you're doing more mileage than you ever have and running easy primarily. So you're going to choose another two to three mini peaks that fit together in three and four and five month chunks to build and contribute towards that primary goal at the end. Since you mentioned Kate, uh, and maybe she may not may not want me talking about this, but I'm going to at least talk about I doubt it. I have a strong she's feeling pretty open, she's pretty open. open so. But we just <laughs> recently planned her next year. Mm-hmm. Basically, one-on-one, she had a big result at CIM, ran a, a marathon PR by 13 minutes, finished in 255, 254, just under 255. And she has a very public stated goal to t- qualify for the Olympic trials. Kate is, is an athlete that I coach. She is a former collegiate runner. She's run just over 16 minutes for the 5K. So she's extremely fast, has a lot of talent, but is relatively new to the marathon, is just run her first two this year and but her stated goal is to otq to get the olympic trials qualifier for 2020 and so what we just did was sit down and talk about okay how can we plan our training cycles to get that otq with the idea that we want her first real attempt at it to be basically a year from now Mm -hmm. either at cim or houston next year we haven't picked that race there's some things we're thinking about there, but but then the question is, okay, now how do we chunk up the next several months and then year? Now, part of what we need with Kate is to build her mileage. As you said, her economy isn't there. She's primarily focused on 5K, 10K work from a lower volume collegiate program. Also has had some injury challenges in the past when she's tried to bump her mileage, so that's something we've been balancing. And she's powerful and fast, which is always a little bit of a challenge when it comes to transitioning those athletes to that greater volume to not lose some of that pop and happy, happy feet and big, big power she has, but also make it relatively make it work for her in the distance that she's chosen now. And we had a really conservative plan for CIM to get her to that result, which worked out really well. And so what we've tried, what we decided to do is basically chunk her next year up into three chunks. The first chunk is going to be, and this is kind of a hybrid. She's going to focus on the 10K. She's she's actually got, she's running Boston without a goal, running it to experience it, running it easy. But our focus truly for the spring is to run a fast cap 10. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, building her long run distance. She did 120 miler before... <laughs> Before See what we're saying, folks? CIM. 120 miler. <laughs> so talented. And it was the perfect, it was just 
the right amount given mm-hmm. what we had in terms of a buildup. But she's done one one twenty miler. So my plan for her for the spring is to do five k, ten k speed work combined with long run marathon long run mileage. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. So that she can do <laughs> Boston and experience it and have a good time and experience there. But really try to go run a fast 10K at Cap 10,000 in, in the spring, which is a big local race. And she'll probably run under 255, probably run close to 250 doing it that way, too. Do it, do at it Boston. Yep. Because Boston is so much fun to kill at the end. And if you can, you know, it's such a cool. That's a great plan for her, given the fact that knowing what her current strengths are, knowing what her current weaknesses are, but yet never putting her in a position where she's got to do too long a window of time of stuff that she's not happy doing. Right, yeah, because she loves the speed work. She doesn't love the long runs. <laughs> and then we're going to go over the summer into a midweek base building period where we build her midweek mileage, mm-hmm. bringing the long run mileage down a little bit to support kind of an overall midweek mileage increase, not worrying so much about some races. I think there's some fun things she'll do over the summer that we've talked about, but nothing... So you're talking about her medium long run, her medium long run, so that you've distance, got two big days, the kind of meat there. of the the week, not right. the long run day, but everything else. Build that during the summer months, and then come back to start a marathon cycle in August, September timeframe, depending on whether we choose CM or Houston, and then start a more traditional marathon cycle where you now have your midweek mileage up. You've done the long run distance that you need to do and prepare for that. So now you can put the two together with the speed that we developed in the spring to try to go for a big result at CIM or Houston. And she knows it's a big ask to go from 254 to 244. But, damn, I think she can do it. But she's also placed, you're also placing in that window enough time to adjust to get it again. So that she's yeah. still oh, yeah. got a window because she she'll have another, another full year within that window or, or pretty close to a full year, which will allow you to then adjust the things that you found out that were true weaknesses and true strengths for her. Because I don't think yet as young a runner as Kate is, she you she, she knows what her true strengths and weaknesses and you don't know her true strengths and weaknesses right. yet. And I don't. And I've worked with her for an extended period of time and I've watched her run for a long time. But what will, as a marathoner, what are her true strengths and weaknesses? We don't really know yet. And that you'll, if you don't get the result you're looking for at CIM or Houston, it'll be pretty clear the one or two little things that you have to work on polishing to get right. And you'll have time enough, Chris, to get back at that and work in that next zone, something that allows her to pull that off, you know? And of course, then you'll be running up against the window of, when you can, as many of our listeners who are trying to get their Boston qualifiers, they run up against the shadow of when is my window of qualifying time and how much do I chase and pursue the goal? Um, and that's one thing in this context that I really want to talk about. I don't ever get a chance to get on my, oh, well, that's so much bullshit. I get on my high horse all the time and I get on and I, every and I, Thursday, uh, pretty much record? every Thursday, but I've got, I've got a, a, something I want to challenge our listeners with and that's. I'll just say this, what I'm not a fan of. People who chase their Boston qualifier or people who chase qualifiers, don't choose downhill, completely, utterly downhill races. Now, I know CIM is downhill and people might give me a grief for that. But, you know, it's a legitimate marathon that many people run. But your mountains to beaches, your St. George's, your other races that just fit this window of time from May to the last chance qualifier for Boston, which is the year before, there are windows of time where those things are are okay. But chasing that, 
dragging all the time just means you're never doing the base work, Chris. They're not getting this cycle of training in that we're talking. They're always bleeding and chasing this goal that they don't do enough base work to ever get there. And if someone's in the process of chasing that, I've knocked that. I've stopped any of my athletes from doing that. Now I don't have anybody in my group that is going to do that because I know that they're so far off of the basic needs that they need to address that they need to address in a 12 month cycle that if they would give me those 12 months or 18 months, I can almost guarantee them because if they're already that close doing stupid race and whatever little race they can come up running race courses that are really a terror to your body. I mean, Mountains to Beach and some of these other Revel races, Mount Charleston, I mean, they're basically built to tear you to pieces. And if you don't know how to run them appropriately, they will crush you. And everybody wants this fix, this shortcut, this hack to get to their goal. You know the real hack? Do what we're talking about. Do, Do a 12 work. to 18 <laughs> week month, 18, eight, 12 month to 18 month cycle, and you will get to that time. Every, I can almost guarantee it. And the guarantees I've made to my athletes in that way, I've been able to deliver on them every single time to the point now where my athletes don't even ask to do it anymore because I say, shut up and run. Give me t- nine months and I'll talk to you about it. So here's another example that I think will resonate differently perhaps. I had a new athlete come to me that's a long-time rogue, been training with for a long time, been trying to BQ for a long time, has kind of gone from marathon to marathon every six months fall spring fall spring trying to bq for a long time and hasn't been able to do it and she came to me and said i want to give your group a shot i need to switch the mornings i said and she's like what do you think i should race you know what marathon next and she was looking at the winter early spring and listed three or four options and i said none (laughs) <laughs> None of the above. <laughs> if you're Man after my <laughs> own heart. If you're gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna come do this, then I want to make sure that the next time we go for it, we know you're ready. You've been working on the marathon for a long time, but we haven't had the opportunity to work other things. So I said, let's build it a little bit differently. Let's think about a year from now, when, what? Let's pick a race a year from now, and then build a cycle or series of cycles that gets you there. So for her, the way things chunked up, it ended up being, let's do a half marathon cycle through 3M in January, which is a big race here in Austin. Then we're going to do a 5K, 10K cycle to work the speed over the spring to cap 10 and the sunshine run. And then we're going to start a marathon cycle heading towards a fall race to really go for that BQ. But this allows us to work on our weaknesses, works on things that she hasn't been working on, and gives us a long-term window to develop this. Plus, the other thing that was going on with her is that she was mentally burnt out from mm-hmm. these attempts yes. and not getting it. And kind of going from one to the next to the, caused her to have a little less edge each time yep. and more doubt each time without rebuilding that I've confidence. Seen it so many times. And so you know, the other thing I was like, look, we got to rebuild you mentally too and that's a part of this process. So anyway, that's how we chunked it up for her. But every time, working on a weakness, building some strengths at each cycle, but not trying to do too much at each chunk. You know, you'll notice with Kate, it's like we worked on one weakness. We're going to work on one weakness with each chunk, basically, and then put it all together for that last bit to try to get the command performance next year. But that's the way you have to think about it. Absolutely. And, and I think that, for our listeners that are trying to determine, well, how do I know that? You know, your athlete that came to you, Chris, 
in all earnestness, was doing what she thought was the absolute right thing to do. She did not look at it saying, oh, I know I'm doing a terrible thing. It's like, I know I shouldn't eat so many bonbons. I shouldn't have that eighth beer for the night. It wasn't that. It was like they, she was having her eighth, quote unquote, marathon beer of the night. <laughs> right. But she didn't know it. She had no idea. And so for our listeners who might be wondering, well, how do I do how do I tell what do you have any suggestions for someone who doesn't have a coach like 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 us there's probably some ways that they could probably determine um, figure out what they might what approach they need to take well I think one question to ask yourself is am I stale you know have I am I stale mentally am I stale physically or have my times not improved in a while and if that's true then it's time to mix things up as one example in her case, I think she was both. She was stale physically from from having too many consecutive marathon cycles, and she was stale mentally because she'd been she had too many losses. She <laughs> eat a lot of shit sandwiches, and so <laughs> you know, and so that's the same. It's also you know another athlete that I recently just met with after she had a fall marathon, and and that that was a good stepping stone for her, but not what she wanted. And I sort of said to her, "I'm like, you need a win." Yeah. Like we need to find a way to get you a win. Yes. So that you have some confidence to go back to the marathon again. And so then we had a long discussion about what that could look like, you know, that would help build to the ultimate goal, but that wouldn't be so difficult, so much on her edge that she wouldn't be able to have a win. Right. And so that's another question is like, do you need a win? Sometimes you need a win. Yep. Another area people can go to Chris is ask your, most people who are running, not with and don't have a coach or have a group of people they're running with. And I'm almost positive that the people that you're running with know your weaknesses better than you do. So you could ask them to go out for a cup of coffee or a beer at some point in time. Don't ask them during the run because they're going to lie their teeth. They're going to lie through their teeth in the middle of the run because they don't want anything to affect their current fun that they're having with their with their runner. But go with their other friends. But ask them out and say, "Hey, I'm looking for someone to give me a, a some some critical insight on what's going on with me you've watched me the last six months or nine months or 12 months you've been running with me you've heard my internal dialogue because that's what we share with each other so you might reach out to a friend or two who you trust and say what what do you think i have are my weaknesses at this point because if you can't see them i'm pretty sure that the people next to you probably would be able to help you especially if there's someone who runs with you on a relatively consistent basis yep so other things, other chunks, again, we're talking three to five month chunks in these 12 to 18 month windows. Other chunks you could add, a base building chunk, a chunk where you add strength and some supplemental work and work that into perhaps a base building element. But basically, any of those things you're doing are going to come in three, four to five month chunks. If I need to build base, you need to do it for a three to four month period and not just a four month, you know, four week. Absolutely. Period. Well, so it's or like my favorite one. You do, or my favorite one, Chris. What do I tell everybody? Get on the trails. Go for a trail go run. For, go to, go do, do a trail. trails. But then do again, it's another trail. three to six month window of time yep. to focus. And that you'll want to do some speed work, and you'll want to do some other things to keep fresh and not get too slow on the trails. But another thing that can actually there's a lot of different ways to chop that time up and to focus on other things that can be very great benefit to you. But it should all come in three to six month chunks. Correct. Not. One month chunks. Okay, so now you've picked your chunks. You've got three chunks perhaps in a 12-month period or four chunks in an 18-month period, and you know what your goal or peak races are for each of those chunks if that's applicable. 
or maybe your goals are a peak mileage period in those chunks. But now, how did how should we be telling them to think about races within those chunks? Because just like we have a bunch of people asking questions in our podcast training group gearing up towards spring marathons, they're asking us, what races should we do in advance of my peak marathon in the spring? And obviously that's going to vary depending on whether you're racing a half or a 10K or 5K for your peak. But how should they be thinking about fitting in supplemental races to these chunks? The simplest rule of thumb to use is that the, is to consider this statement that I like to make. The best 5K workout you could ever do is a 5K race. The best 10K workout you could ever do is a 10K race. The best half marathon workout you could ever do is a half marathon race. So keep that in mind because if you see in your training schedule that you've got a 10K workout coming up and it coincides with a 10K race, as long as that's not your second or third race of this of the month, it's probably a good bet that that's the first and that's the first things you should circle. Those key races that are in your lo- in your local area that are good quality efforts that you know have a meaning and that you know what that time is. We use a 10-miler in the fall because we've got this great 10-mile race course. But it is slow, Chris. We do we have math. We've actually got like how fast that really means on a real 10 on a real 10-mile course. Our our, our cap 10k is another course that you can't just extrapolate a straight 10k time for. It's got to be adjusted for the conditions and the and the course and all those other things. But use look at those races you have locally that you don't have to travel to that are good competitive races. And then look on your training schedule and say, oh, I have a half marathon workout here. All right, that half marathon workout gets thrown in the trash, and now you have a new half marathon workout, which is 13.1 miles run at that pace on a Saturday or Sunday that corresponds. And that's the first thing is take those those apples-to-apples scenarios to make sure that you're not running a 10K workout on a Tuesday and then running a 10K race on a Saturday or Sunday because there's a lot of problems that are going to happen with that. Once you've done that, then you need to give yourself three more weeks of recovery from that, in my opinion, and preferably I would choose four. I would most often like my athletes to run no more than one race a month. Um, And in marathon cycle, it'll be less than that, but typically no more than one a month. Anytime it's more than one race a month, I get nervous because I don't have enough time to get recovered from the race effort that they just put in and then focus again on getting up to mileage that they need to. Plus, we've got drop-down weeks in there. Plus, I've got long-run workouts that I've got to get in if they're doing marathon training, and you start to do it. There's just not enough days to fit in the kind of work that we're trying to get done. So those are my first two rules of thumb is apples to apples. So pick a race. Try to find the best local races you can. Apples to apples, that being a workout. Take that workout out, then get recuperated, recovered from it, and play out from there. Those are my first two rules. What about you, Chris? What are yours? Well... I'm consistent with that. Uh, you know, I think the other way to look at it is really you shouldn't have more than two or three races to build to a command performance within a given four or five or six month chunk because you just don't have the time to recover and because you need real training work too. Right. It's like racing takes you away from the real workouts you might be need to be doing or in the case of the marathon, it takes you away from long runs you need to be doing, which are more important than probably racing, building up for that distance. So... You know, so it's not as many as people might think. Now, that being said, any race could be used as a workout. Absolutely. And so you could use a race as what I call a training race, where if you want to jump into a race, fine. But 
think about how it contributes to your peak race and then build a workout for that race that's consistent with your goal later. And so it might look like if you're doing a half marathon, it might look like a progression run where you run just like this past weekend. I had athletes doing the Decker Challenge, a local, great local race yep. here in Austin. Some of them were doing it because they liked the race and wanted to do it and have races later. But I said, look, I don't want you racing all out. We've done other things that make that a bit of a risky bis- you know, risky business to go all out at that race. So I want you to run conservatively for six miles. And then I gave them a plan over the last seven to kind of run basically in progression from there to finish really strongly the last three miles. And so they had a basically a seven-mile progression run within the context of a race that allowed them to get the right training benefit as well as have a good race experience finish strong, feel good all the way to the finish line, which I think is important in any race you do, whether it's a training race or otherwise. So that's an example. You can always use a race as a training race, but generally when you're rollout racing, no more than three likely max before a peak in any period. Yeah, I gave the term once every month because of the podcast group that we've been talking to <laughs> because there's there's one or two there's people in eager, there that are like that, that love to much. race but i would agree with you chris the other thing that's really important about it is listen i mean using races as workouts is better than doing a workout in so many cases because you've got aid stations and one of the biggest challenges for marathoners is figuring out nutrition how to get to into and out of water stops how to utilize their gel or whatever fueling product they're using if they're using blocks how long does it take a block to dissolve in your mouth i mean these are things that people don't know an answer to sometimes a week before their race and their, their command performance race. And so races like that, like the Decker that you're doing, we've used um, a variety of different, different races here. Austin sometimes, based on our Boston Marathon people, we've used these races as basically test runs. Your gear, figuring your equipment out, figuring how you're gonna, what gear you're going to wear, what socks, what shirt, what, what other things you're going to do. The, at, before command performance, you don't want to be wondering whether or not this thing is going to work. So... Listen to us. We don't have any problem with you pinning a number to your chest more than one, more than three or four times in a year. We just have a problem with you pinning your number to your chest and then looking at the race results and being really worried about the number at the front of your name and the number at your back of your name. That's what we're concerned about because that's going to start to atrophy. The old school coaches that I grew up listening to and paying attention to, they talk about building a large base, which is the bottom of a pyramid, and then moving upwards as your quality workouts and races come in, getting to a peak. The more races you do, the shorter your peak is going to be and the less of a high the less height in a peak you're going to get so those of you who want to race a lot realize you're missing on valuable quality training time and you're definitely limiting the height at which we can get your peak and you should think about every race you do how does it contribute to my primary goal how does it contribute to my intermediary goal within a given chunk in the cycle so that you get the right benefit from that race so it all builds and fits together one of the more frustrating things for me as a coach is when I talk to an athlete, we do a prep race, and we have a specific goal for that, but either they don't follow it or they get they walk away disappointed because they're like, I didn't PR there. And then I ask them, well, that, was that the goal? Were we trying to PR there or were we, are we trying to PR in a, in a month or two at a different race? It's like you have to manage your expectations appropriately at these interim build races so that you're not expecting all the time to be on. 
Yeah, tell them next time, don't fucking bait and switch on me. Because that's what they're doing. They're pulling an old bait and switch. When I say that to my athletes, their eyes get really big. And they're like, whoa, I didn't expect you to say that. But that's what it is. Like, you told me this is what you wanted. And then the gun went off. And all of a sudden, you wanted something different. Because, folks, that's the real problem here. Is so many of you, when the gun goes off, you're going to change your mind. And make sure you've got a plan in the front what you're going to do. Because you don't want to make a coach like me mad like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the FOMO kicking in. <laughs> exactly, it makes it, me when crazy. The gun goes off. So, All right, so find your chunks and then choose some some prep races within those chunks that fit. Now, just to give an example for the marathon, because obviously you're not going to race a bunch of marathons leading up to a peak marathon. Now, there is a scenario that we've used as a prep marathon, basically a marathon at ninety percent of of your marathon pace. We've used that as a tool in advance, but that's a really used tool in our situation but more likely from a marathon standpoint we like to recommend a couple of races leading up to a marathon one where you do a hard 10k 10 days to two weeks out from your marathon and then a half marathon five to eight or nine weeks out from your from your peak marathon those can be really good contributors to the marathon mix because they not only give you a a little bit of a test, an example of your fitness, but they also help you work on the mental elements of hurting without the physical beat down you take from the marathon itself. So for a marathon, those are a couple of things we recommend. That's optimal, Chris, what you just lined out. I have a 10, everybody marathoner I coach does a 10K workout 10 days out from the race. So the Thursday before their Saturday, they do that. Now, occasionally I'll let them do it the week before if they've got a race scenario. This year we hit a turkey trot. It was like 10 days out. It was perfect. We got a five, many people got a five mile race and some people got a 5k and they were really worried. Well, you say 10k. Well, yeah, but what I really want is a good hard push out effort. So you get the, you get all, you get some of those nerves out and you figure out where you're at. Now we had somebody ask us, oh, I've got a 10k workout coming. I have a 10k race. That's a week before. And we have this year with our Boston group, we have the Austin, the capital 10k a week before and I'm going to not suggest that my athletes do it seven days out. There's enough things that can go that it may people may think it's crazy that those three days could make enough of a difference. <laughs> but it takes three or four days to get recuperated, recovered from a really hard effort. And by that time, if you're feeling like crap, three to four days, two to three days before your race, it's not lining up for a marathon to be really, really good. So I do not suggest a hard run 10K the week before your race, preferably, preferably. Um, you'll do that, you know, 10 days out, which almost never a Thursday race, but you could do it the Saturday or Sunday before it, and it would work really, really well. So there you go. There's, there's sort of how to pick prep races. And obviously you have to make that fit into your schedule so that it works with your training block as well. Now, one thing we wanted to talk about before we leave this topic on races, Steve, and it kind of also correlates to this question of what do you choose as your, as your command performances? But how should people pick big races to go after? And we'll start with the marathon because that's probably the hardest, you know, to choose from. There's there's perhaps fewer of them and you don't, you don't get to race them very often. So what are your tips on someone picking a goal, big goal marathon race? The first is trying to find optimal weather, which is getting harder and harder and harder to do. But the, you want to pick the optimal weather race that you can. Marathon.com is an unbelievable resource for this. It has history going back year after year after year, weather conditions, people's race reports. If you take a weekend to 
choose some key races, you can find some things out there. You know, I love CIM. I like Philly. I like Houston. I like uh, Vancouver. I like Toronto. I like Eugene a little bit. Eugene sometimes is problematic. I love Boston, but Boston's just because it's the big race. So I've got some special favorites I have, but there are a lot of other really great races. Chris, we've been trying to talk people to go into to the Columbus Marathon, which is the second week in October. We can't get rogues to go there for nothing. We would have gone two years in a row if we could have had opportunities, a, but we just couldn't get fast, any, we couldn't get anybody to pick it. So really good weather. You know, the, the other thing, that's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is what's the optimal weather conditions for you to do the quality work you need to do to get in position to do have the race performance you want so for us i always know we're going to have great training for boston no matter what boston weather is because in austin texas getting ready for boston is perfect we've got the great hills we've got great weather conditions during that time of the year we've got a number of key races that allow us to play in really really well with that and so for us a late spring marathon in austin texas is always optimal but we had this last year a group of people who really wanted to go to grandma's which for us is in june I wouldn't let any of the athletes that I coach do that. We had another subset of our rogue population that did do it, and some people had successes. But it was very hard for the coaches and for the athletes to get that prepped. Not only was it because of our weather conditions turning hot in, 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 in May and June, but also the end of the school year happening at a time. You know, people are look, you have to look at your life schedule, where your life schedule sits. So I always tell people, Houston is tough. Houston is awesome from a training perspective for Austinites, but it's tough for everybody because you had to go through the Thanksgiving holiday and the Christmas holiday and the New Year's Eve holiday. And if you didn't have your shit take put together, you're not going to get it done. Austin has been always easier for us, Chris, because we've got a little window of time to get them back into the saddle if they were consistent before the Christmas break. That two weeks didn't ruin everybody. We could get them back to play. But you can't do that with Houston. So the first thing is the weather conditions that are out there for the race that you're going to run. The second thing is what's optimal conditions for the place where you live. I'm coaching a woman who's in Northern California right now, and she's trying to figure out the best race choice for her. And I said, you don't have to worry about it. You pretty much have optimal weather training conditions. Right. We don't have any big seasonal change. You have hot days and you have cold days. You have great days. You have miserable days. But we don't have a, a real considerable peak that we know that we can follow. So you don't have to worry about that so much as opposed to somebody who lives on the East Coast. Somebody who lives in Philadelphia. I, you're going to have a really hard – training for the Philadelphia Marathon in Philadelphia is tough. Now, the good thing is they get good weather right at the end. But training for, like, Chicago is much harder because the weather conditions are tough. Same thing in the south. We have the same problems. How can you get optimal marathon training? Now, we do it year in, year out. We execute. We make it happen. We get it done. But I'm always breathing a much greater size of relief when people say they want to run CIM, Houston, and Austin, and, and Boston than I do when they tell me they want to run – something in June, July, August, September, October. Those are tougher for us where we're at. So those are the first two things that I would use to determine. What about you, so Chris? Just to clarify, you said marathon.com. It's marathonguide.com. Marathonguide.com. There's also me, another yes. site that's a little less professional looking, but also really helpful called findmymarathon.com, where you can actually search on different parameters. You can also see elevation profiles. They have also a proprietary marathon rankings system where they try to rank how cool. fast a marathon is. I've never looked at that site. On a certain scale, findmymarathon.com. Really interesting. Some of their rankings are a little bit weird, I think, as it relates to how races compare to each other. But they have some methodology for basically telling you how fast a race is. They probably have a little payola going on but in you there, can, too. <laughs> <who does. laughs> but you can also look at the elevation pro profiles on there as well. So check out 
findmymarathon.com as well as marathonguide.com. The thing I tell people, in addition to the two things you mentioned, is that it has to mean something to you. That's great. It has to mean something. I was just having this conversation recently about an athlete trying to choose a spring race. And we're considering the marathon for her in the spring. But I told her, I said, look, if you can't find a marathon that means something to you in the spring, don't race a marathon just to race a marathon. Absolutely. We can do other things that will help build towards your goals. But the race has to mean something. It has to resonate and it has to get you at the heart strings a little bit. And, and it could be superficial. It could be, hey, my friends are going. I'm going to that one. But but it has to have something for you that's more than just, oh, I'm, I'm signing up for this because I read about it on MarathonGuy.com. Absolutely. So that's the other. And if that's for you, key. That So I just got an email from one of my athletes I've been coaching for a very, very long time. And. I've been suggesting Vancouver to so many people. Well, her family lives in her. She has family lives in Toronto. So if she goes to Vancouver, she's going to fly to Toronto, drop off her kids with family in Toronto, and then fly to Vancouver to run her marathon. And then I'm like, no, 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 run, run Toronto. Right. Like there's no good reason. The weather, the weathers are, the weather is really consistent. They're really close to each other. You're still in the same training cycle. There's other reasons. Not only does it mean something to you, but also. This all makes sense to the world and the life that <laughs> right. which I'm living. It's not crazy. And I do think that's another good point is you got to think about your travel to a race. You know, we had a bunch of people doing CIM this time. I didn't want to do that because I haven't had good success sitting on a plane for four or six hours. Right. And then having a race a day or two later. So all that sitting tightens me up, causes issues with some of my racing. So that's something you got to consider. What's an easy race? What's a direct flight? What's right there locally? Because I do think that's something you got to think about that helps you prepare physically and mentally to be ready for that big day. And really the same applies for any distance. I think you have a little bit more leeway with other distances, half 10 K five K because you can do more of them. You know, you could perhaps do two half marathons in a month, four weeks apart, but for a marathon, you kind of have to pick your battles. And for the other race distances, your last rule applies the most. To pick a command performance at a distance of 5K, 10K, or half marathon, it needs to really resonate. It needs to be either be your your local, like here we have the 3M and the and the Cap 10K, and everybody worth their salt from Jerry Joggers to the to my post collegiate elite athletes, we fucking focused on those <laughs> two races because they were important in our community and they made a sense. And winning there mattered, just like you've decided to go after that with Kate because. Winning there matters. It's a big thing. And so picking those races for you that resonate with you. And it doesn't have to necessarily resonate with community necessarily, although that's an extra benefit and an extra bonus of magic that you get that the race will produce. Anybody that's gone to Boston or gone to New York or gone to Chicago, they felt those things. But you're looking in your local community, you have them. Like if you live on the East Coast, Beacons to Beach, that's what's great. I mean, there's so many races out there. Uh, the the Beacon 10K, I forget the name of it right now, but there's so many Beach races out there, Beach to Beacon, that are out there that are really, really cool that aren't necessarily optimal conditions and optimal purpose. It's just the race that really makes sense and it's something you can focus on. Um, one question people will give us, Chris, is, well, how do I extrapolate that to figure out what that equates to? Don't worry about it. Just put your best effort out there. Just give the best you can and you'll, you should know if you've been listening to our podcast and you've been paying attention a little bit to efforts, you'll be able to do some basic math to that. 
and, and be able to figure that out. But don't make that be a choice. People, I remember people telling me, I don't want to run the, the, the uh, Run for the Water 10K that we have here locally because there's no way, the weather's always bad and the, and the course is really, really tough. And I'm like, yeah, but we can factor all those things in and get, get you what you need, get the information we need from it. And more importantly, you need to show up and race. And you need to race <laughs> the people that make you nervous. You need your yeah. sphincter to pucker a little bit. That's what we yeah. want from those midterm, those mid-season competitive races is to get your sphincter to pucker and to make you get ready for your big, big one that's coming up later. Yeah, huge for mental training. All right, so those are a little bit of the things. We probably didn't cover everything we could cover, but we're at 90 minutes, Steve, so we got to Oh, we got to stop it, Obviously, yeah. at the end of 12 to 18 months, you're going to reassess and then look another 12 to 18 months in advance. And, by the way, it's worth mentioning that sometimes your plan may need to adjust. You might get six months into your 12 to 18-month plan and something happens. You get an injury. You lose motivation. You have a big stretch where you get sick and you can't run for a little while. So there doesn't mean you have to go do it exactly as you planned it. There's always things to get in the way and modifications you need to make as you go. It just means you need an outline to work from to use as a starting point for those adjustments. And then as those curveballs come along the way, you make your adjustments as you need to or maybe reset and say, look, this plan didn't work. I got to start over and look at another 12 to 18 months in advance after five months of one sort of version of the plan. And one thing, those folks who are over 50 that are listening to us, slow your roll, calm down. You're not in that much of a hurry. We've had people prove <laughs> at every age, at every time in their cycle. It is, I've had people PR, lifetime PRs at 55 and 60 years old. So slow your roll. Don't freak out and say, I don't have that much time. Yes, you do. <laughs> you, yes, you do. You have I plenty 60, of time. I was a 65-year-old athlete in my group who just ran her fastest half in 10 years. See? There you go. So, so it's like I'm not listening go. to your arguments. <laughs> I've, we've coached too many people. You've got time. You, you've coached way too many people. I mean, you might not make it to then, but that won't have anything to do with any, anything that anything to do with your planning of your marathon, <laughs> your half marathon. Life's so uncertain. Be but patient. Yes. You're basically, everybody, be patient. If, that, if that's the only thing you remember from this 90 minutes. Be patient. It might be the only thing you we said anywhere at value, but who <laughs> All knows? Right. So we're already too long, so we'll close it there. But that's a little bit about how you plan your training cycles in bigger chunks. Think about it, digest it, apply it to your own training, and send us questions. If you have questions about how it might play out for you, we'd, we're going to do a listener question podcast coming up here in December. So send those to us at Chris at Rogue Running. Please send us those. We really want to have more. We've got a lot of great questions already, but we want more. So yeah. please send us your questions. Chris at RogueRunning.com. And of course, you can always check us out on our website at RogueRunning.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Rogue Running. I should also mention we're still taking podcast training members. If you want to join, we've got a good group so far from what we hope to be four countries so far, five countries perhaps soon. And anybody who's racing a marathon in the spring, we'd love to have you join us. So check that out at roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.